Hey there, romance nerds. Guess what? <gasps> what? We have an interview today. Oh my God, I'm so excited. And it's going to be a good one. We are so excited to introduce you to Nisha Sharma, <gasps> who is the author of books like My So-Called Bollywood Life, The Karma Map, Dating Dr. Dill, mm-hmm. and Tastes Like Shakar is her most recent one. And Jen and I are so excited to talk to her. It's going to be really good. I have not gotten to read her books yet <laughs> jackie has read almost all of them yes. so i think it'll end up being an interesting interview although we're recording this intro after interviewing her and i realized there is a gap in my sharma verse reading sphere so i need to catch up mm-hmm. but if everybody's ready jen are you ready oh i'm so ready i can't wait to get into it all right well here we go hey there romance nerds i'm jen and i'm jackie we're two librarians from nopal in upstate new york and you're listening to raging romantics In this podcast, we like to think a little too deeply about romance books. If you're into theory, history, and raging about romance landia, then you should stick around. Please be advised that some of the things we talk about may not be suitable for younger listeners. Content warnings for episodes are available in the show notes. Jen, are you ready? Oh, I'm ready. All right. Let's Let's rage! Hello, Raging Romantics, and welcome back. We are so excited. We have a special guest with us today. Everybody, if you could please give a giant round of applause for the one, the only, Nisha Sharma. Nisha, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you. Yes, and it's very early for us, but that's okay because our energy levels have no bounds. (laughs) So, um, well, Nisha, for those of everybody listening, could you please introduce yourself? Sure. Um, Hi, everyone. Um, My name is Nisha Sharma. My pronouns are she, her, hers, and I am a young adult and an adult contemporary romance writer. Um, I've been writing for, I've been publishing for about um, six or seven years now. Um, My first book was a YA novel called My So-Called Bollywood Life. Um, but I'm most known by romance readers uh, as the author of Dating Dr. Dill, which yeah. came out last year, and the follow-up Tastes Like Shepker, which came out a couple months ago um, in the If Shakespeare Was an Auntie series. Yes, and they are so much fun. Yeah, they're really – I've heard nothing but praise for them from everybody who's told me they've read them. So like you said, you started in the YA sphere, and then you made your way mm-hmm. into adult romance Landia. Can you tell us how you like actually got started in YA and why that was kind of like your first uh, brush with publishing? Yeah, so I actually always wanted to write adult romance. Um, I was an adult romance reader as much as I enjoyed writing or reading YA. Um, it wasn't something that like I immediately thought, um, oh, this is, this is the space that I want to mm-hmm. be in for the rest of my life. Um, I picked up my first romance novel the summer after the seventh grade, and I <laughs> yes, it's really yeah, young. I've always been a very a very dedicated romance. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, but uh, when I was um in my early twenties, I just graduated from law school, and I just um like I hadn't been getting the traction that I needed to with the adult romance market. I had gotten an agent. I even made it to the acquisition floor at um, a big romance publishing imprint with, uh, funny enough, a romanticy. Oh. <laughs> but they weren't buying romanticy at that time. Oh. So um, so it ended up getting cut. 
Um, and, um, oh, don't worry. It's, it's like, I ended up selling it like 10 years later. So it's okay. coming in 2025. Oh yeah. Money. God, I'm so excited. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> um, funny enough though, they wanted it as a YA. So oh. we'll, yeah, I can, I can always chat about that, but, okay. um, uh, but yeah, I like at that point I was like, I need to do something to kind of like reconnect with, I guess, like what makes a book tick. Like mm-hmm. I had been out of like the English academia for a long time at that point. Like law school is not a, a mm. place that really like encourages like creative expression. <laughs> you don't say. Uh, <laughs> and so uh, I ended up going back to school part-time. So I was working full-time and uh, I went back to school to get my master's and my MFA in creative writing. Mm. And in the process of getting my degree, I wrote my so-called Bollywood life because oh. they encouraged me to do something that was like outside of my direct field of interest. Mm-hmm. And so YA ended up being like just close enough that I felt comfortable with it. And mm-hmm. so um, I wrote that book and I found, I think, my voice. And so, um, which is so important for authors mm-hmm. to like develop a voice. And so um, that was how it, my my YA came out. It was like that. That was my first book. Nice. Um, so cool. What was the first romance that you picked up after in seventh grade? <laughs> yeah, what was it? What did you get? Yeah. Reading? So um, I I had been, at that time I had been reading. I had like pretty much read all the YA romances mm-hmm, that right. were available to me, and I was also like a dedicated Nancy Drew and yes. Hardy fan. Mm-hmm. But like in the early nineties there were there was this series that was like the super mysteries where Nancy Drew and Hardy Boys like solve mysteries oh, together. Yes. Yeah. But the like the sexual chemistry between Nancy Drew and Frank Hardy was like yes. like out of this world. Yes. So like, I used to like write mm-hmm. fan fiction between <laughs> the two of them. And um and so like after I'd kind of like like been completely just inhaled every single title that I can get my hands on in my tiny like small town library in northeast Pennsylvania um as a kid I wandered into the adult romance section and the librarian was like the mom of like one of the kids in my class so like I had to be super stealth about it (laughs) and uh and on the new release paperback wall there was this pretty peach cover with like a beach scene mm-hmm. of a book called inner harbor by <gasps> yes oh, that's a good one to start with and like my brain like yeah. melted mm-hmm. out of my ears i read that i was like that's it this is it this is my calling all so. the nora roberts after that <laughs> oh yeah it was, was really just good. Downhill or uphill, I guess, from there, <laughs> depending on the day. <laughs> I wonder if Nora knows that she's the gateway for so many young readers into so. adult romance. I hope it's one of the things she's most proud of. I hope so. Yeah. I would be. Yeah, nice. Yeah. Um, so you started, as you said, kind of with Nancy Drew, Hardy Boy fanfic. Do you still write fan fiction? <sighs> What's I mean, the username? What's the username? Can we, like, go find an old Nisha Sharma oh, somewhere no. on the web? I mean, like I'm dating myself, but this is like pre AOC. Well, yes, yeah, so like fanfiction.net. Yeah, yeah. This is like this is like live journal. Oh my gosh! <laughs> yes. is, okay, love that. <laughs> this is like way back in the live journal. Day. <laughs> <laughs> Jen is, is still super into fanfic. We did like a still whole episode on it and she had to educate me about all these different things. I was like, I vaguely remember this, but my family did not really have internet when I was growing up. So I didn't have the opportunity to get into fan fiction. Mm. So. Yeah. And I had a computer in my room. So that's all I did when I was alone. 
<laughs> um, I, I admit, I don't think like, like computers really like took off in like in home spaces yeah. <laughs> until I was probably in middle school. So like yeah. a lot of my early writing were in like spiral notebooks that I had to find clever ways to like hide throughout my room because mm-hmm. my parents were super nosy. <laughs> this just all resonates so deeply with both Jen and I. <laughs> it's such a universal experience. Are you still yeah. involved in fandom at all or you've pretty much moved on to like your own original work? Um, I, I mean, I like reading um, like fan fiction, but I don't really write it like online for myself anymore. Like I what I what ends up like starting off as fan fiction becomes like a novel for me. So um, so I guess I haven't moved on completely because like you're all reading like fan fiction for me. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's just like 15 iterations later. So it's like so deeply like in there that you, it's hard to tell that that's what it started out as. Nice. Um, so the shift from fanfic into YA into adult, were those kind of hard shifts for you as a writer to make? Not really. I think like, for me, it's always been about understanding the character. Mm-hmm. And uh, so the hardest part for me is always getting to know the characters because like I am such like a loyal supporter of these individuals that it's really hard for me to understand their flaws to the point where I can be like, oh yeah, like you screwed up. And like, <laughs> <laughs> I had to make this work. <laughs> so speaking of like some of your previous work, I want to know if this is true. I read on mm-hmm. like a random blog that you used to write cowboy romance in law school yeah that is actually true that what, is true what attracted you to cowboy because me and jackie have very different opinions <laughs> on cowboy to say the least was it just like a stress reliever from law school was it something like yeah no, no, i um like my first two published stories with really small press mm-hmm. were cowboy romances so. they were so actually incorrect like absolutely disgustingly like poorly written but whatever were they historicals uh uh, they weren't historicals they were paranormal cowboys oh my goodness (gasps) i want to read that yes it was like faded mates like a faded thing so it's like um and so yeah it was uh it was wild and (laughs) And I don't know how this publisher was like, yeah, sounds like a great idea, let's publish it. Uh, well, but they did. Um, and I think part of it is because I grew up in course country. So the yes. advantage of like being in Northeast Pennsylvania until like I left for college and I like started my New Jersey love affair um, <laughs> was that I was constantly surrounded by like horse farms. Mm-hmm. And so you know, we used to go and like see the horses and we'd like, we drive by horse farms and all you see is just horses just Mm -hmm. running fields. It's beautiful. And so, um, I think like, because of that, I used to read a lot of cowboy romance, like old school Diana Palmer. Yes. (laughs) Um, like all of, by the way, those long tongue tuss, t- tall Texans, they do not hold up today. They are so no. problematic. No. They really don't. Now, that's my problem with cowboys. Cause when I think cowboy, I think of like the Bundys and like that whole weird standoff. They do, you know, when they took over the wildlife because yeah, they were on the ranch. Yeah. I, they did. They did a lot of weird stuff and they had their whole thing about taxes and <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it definitely wasn't like Yellowstone. That's no, for sure. no, no. <laughs> Yellowstone is a romance. Let's be real here. 
And I can say that as a horse person. So kind of going off script here for a minute. Have you had the same editor for all of your like writing career? No. Okay. I was going to say no. that editor must be like amazing to be able to handle all these different shifts. No, 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 no. I've been so fortunate. Um, so when I was with the small imprint way back in the day, like I don't even talk about that as part of my writing career anymore because I feel like it's such a separate part of my life. Mm. But um, so this is like probably the first podcast I think I've actually talked about it. But like um, those um, those editors were like contracted freelancers mm-hmm. um, they were good. They were, I mean, like freelancers are fantastic resources. So mm-hmm. like I always encourage it. But then uh, with Random House, I had um, one editor went with my so-called Bollywood life and Radha and Jay's recipe for romance, which were my two first, my first two YAs. Then I went to Avon books for my adult romance stuff. So the Singh family trilogy had one editor mm-hmm. dating. Dr. Dill had another mm-hmm. And then Tastes Like Shucker had a third. Oh. Uh, no, I'm sorry. Uh, Tastes Like Shucker had another. And then the next book in the in the trilogy is going to have a third. It's because okay. the like the editors leave. Like there's yeah. there's like a constantly like evolving process. Yeah. Um, and then I have another editor for my like new adult title, like the Karma Map and Mer- uh, the Letters We Keep, which comes out in May. Okay. That's like another editor, and then. Yeah. yeah. So I've worked, I've been, I have to say, I've, I've enjoyed and I've worked with a lot of wonderful, intelligent, incredible women. Um, and the advantage of having that many, those many editors, like that many editors is that, um, like I learn my writing style and I learn what works for me and what my weaknesses are. So I can tell, like I can articulate what my weaknesses are. Mm-hmm. That's a good way of looking at that. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Nice. 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 So I, again, I was reading a lot of interviews that you did, and that's why I have, like, I found all this weird info. So in another interview, you said it took a couple of rewrites to get Raj from my so-called Bollywood life out of being, like, this one-dimensional villain. Uh, That made me wonder. I don't think I've ever asked an author this, but do you ever struggle with writing, like, the male character perspective or some of these other kind of of side characters? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I struggled with Raj for sure because originally – like, I didn't know if I wanted it to be a true love triangle. Mm. And then my editor was very much like, listen, like, love triangles don't do really well in contemporary. Like, oh. it's it's not a good look. Mm. Like, it's like, That's actually, fair. like, not great. Yeah. So so I had to, like, change Raj. Like, he was, he was, like, first amazing to the point where you couldn't tell which one you wanted, right? <laughs> uh, like, because I made both of them, like, true romance heroes. So I didn't have, like like any real dif- differentiating factors it was what Winnie wanted that mattered mm. and then um it wasn't until Bram that I had another problem with Hero in um in Dating Dr. Dill and the reason why I had an issue with Bram is because the original text that I was kind of inspired by which is Taming the Shrew the hero in Taming the Shrew is absolute garbage yes yes he um, is <laughs> And so, you know, it's like, okay, well, if this is my source material, (laughs) how is this going to work out? And so I struggled with that for sure. Hmm. Does it tend to be easier for you to write like the female characters, the male characters, just out of curiosity? I mean, like, I think that writing character in general is a struggle for me. Hmm. Like, I don't think it's, I think it depends on the book. Like, Hmm. it's not like... 
like it's the same situation. Every book is a different experience. Mm-hmm. Um, every book I'm wrestling with a different question that I want to have a conversation about with on the page. And so, um, so like, I can't really say like, I will, I, I will admit the only book that has ever truly been like in quotes, I'm saying this mm-hmm, like yeah. easy mm-hmm. is taste like shucker mm-hmm. because uh, Much Ado About Nothing has been my favorite Shakespeare play since I was a child. Mm. And I have, like, I have truly, truly thought about that ad- adaptation before I even knew that I wanted to write it. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's why I had so much space and time with it before I sat down to write the book that it gave me that, you know, it gave me, like, a lot to, like, already pull from the back of my psyche. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, so that's an excellent segue into our next set of questions. Um, you have been inspired by Shakespeare's plays for your most mm-hmm. recent adult romances. Like you said, Dating Dr. Nill and Tastes Like Shakar. Um, what retellings can we expect in your upcoming books? Mm-hmm. I don't know if, I mean, so the, I still have uh, one more book left in the Shakespeare trilogy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, so um, it is going to and- end. You're not just going to do like all the Shakespeare's. Yeah, no, it is definitely Hamlet. I love these three friends. I think they're so fun. Mm-hmm. Like these three friend groups, like I think they're so fun. Um, I think like the uh the couples are just like what I would have loved, like m- the way that I kind of had have always approached them is like who are the friends that I've would have wanted to spend all my time with? Mm-hmm. Um and so um the third book is inspired by Twelfth Night. Mm. So that is like the the next one. Um, I will say that like uh, my first YA paranormal, the one that I like pulled from like the trenches from like 10 <laughs> years ago is inspired by Buffy. Oh um, my gosh, yes. So oh. it is Buffy. Uh, and um, then I think like there's this story that I'm kind of wrestling with right now that has like Nora Roberts inspiration, but like it, they're not retellings. They're just yeah. like when Inspired. I think of it, it's like, Oh man, like if I had the opportunity to develop a world similar to this, this is what I would personally do gotcha. as Lakeisha Sharma. And, right. and like that, that question came from like a, a book that really just moved me. Mm-hmm. What do you love about Shakespeare? I love that it's so much, so much of it is still relevant today. Yeah. Like, I think that's my favorite part. I also think like what people don't realize is dude was funny. Like (laughs) dude was funny. And like, this is probably like the nerdy scholar in me, but like, (laughs) like English departments in high school do not do enough to show how hilarious this man was. Yes. Um, like, like some of his jokes w- were just like, even today is like ridiculous. Like mm-hmm. I have like, I have a series of shirts, like, a, like I have a cricket. And so like my creative outlet sometimes is like making t-shirts. <laughs> um, and so like, I have a shirt that like has one of his quotes, which is like, um, I would challenge you to a battle of wits, but I see that you are unarmed. (laughs) I love that so much. But so I just saw a recording of a play they were putting on at the Globe, and I can't remember what play it was. Um, It's The Heroine is Rosalind. Um, Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. 
No, not oh, Romeo and Juliet. I'm not the Shakespeare person. I'm Rosalind sorry, only has like one line in Romeo and Juliet, and it's like hello. Oh, well, it's like the only. But one. no, so this one they completely like gender swapped it because of course back in Shakespeare's day it would be all men playing every single part. So this one it's women playing every single part, and they're all queer women who are playing every single part. Oh, do you know what? I think that's as you like it. Yes. Yeah. 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 And so it's the scene where the hero is like, "My dearest Rosalind," and she goes, "Shh." And then she just flips him the bird as they like walk all the way around the stage. And I was laughing so hard. And I just love all these uh, ways that Shakespeare is getting brought into like modern theater. Because, yeah, people tend to think because of high school English that it's kind of stayed. It's kind of stuffy. It's people dying, poison. If it is a comedy, it's a comedy of errors. But in reality, it's just so relatable. So much Mm -hmm. of it is relatable. I'm glad to find another Shakespeare nerd because I love Shakespeare. (laughs) Um, so you've said before that you um, use Shakespeare's writing structure. You're inspired mm-hmm. by Shakespeare's writing structure to unpack South Asian dating stereotypes. Can you expand mm-hmm. on that a little bit? Yeah. So um, with uh, Taming of the Shrew, um, Shakespeare has a play where the main character doesn't want to leave home, mm-hmm. right? That's kind of one of the interpretations. There's mm-hmm. multiple interpretations when you're looking at a text and you're analyzing a text. But this particular interpretation that I had was that, you know, you have um, Ka- uh, Katerina who doesn't want to leave home. And um, she's a menace. She doesn't want to get married because she knows the minute that she's married, her ex- the expectations of a woman change. And whatever autonomy she has in the world that she exists in today... Um, is something that like is going to go away with marriage. Mm. And so um, I wanted to address the way that this person, what if this person, but like the one thing I will say about Taming the Shrew is, you know, although, you know, this interpretation of like Katerina not wanting to get married, not wanting to leave the house, leave her home for autonomy's sake. There's like this one monologue she has that kind of like speaks to loneliness. Mm. And so um, what I um, wanted to kind of do is take that and look at it as like, what if you are so comfortable being by yourself, but Mm. you are lonely and you do kind of want to be in love and feel loved? Mm. Like, what if, like, you know that, like, you have to find someone that will continue to help protect your autonomy in the way that you need it, while also giving you the love that you deserve? And so, like, that is kind of, like, what came, like, what I pulled from the play. And um, and when I apply it to South Asian experiences, it's, like, you know, one of the things that, um, like was something that I wrestled with as a South Asian woman dating was, you know, um, like, will I get to be the same person that I am with like a, once I am in a relationship with a man who has like specific cultural expectations. Mm -hmm. Um, and so that's, that's what Karina wrestles with. And that's something that like really translated over for me. Yeah, talk about resonating with something and some Shakespeare being able to be applied to like modern day. Because yeah. you've talked about before you were writing you were writing Dr. Dill during the pandemic and during yeah. lockdown. And I feel like that loneliness and that, you know, autonomy, especially for like modern women, the need to feel autonomy and the need to be so individualized, yeah. it was especially reflected during the pandemic. 
Yeah. When we were alone and we physically were scared to leave our house yeah. sometimes. So, yeah. wow. Knife to the heart right there. Okay. <laughs> Culture and food is represented really beautifully in all of your stories. So what do you hope readers will take away from your books in relation to South Asian culture? I mean, I think that, like, I don't, like, go into it with the intention of teaching anyone gotcha. anything. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like, I go into it with the hope of, like, just writing my experiences in a way that normalizes them for mm-hmm. people. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that, like, a lot of the times culture is, like, a sideshow for, like, individuals mm-hmm. who haven't experienced it because that's the way that, like, publishers will often position mm-hmm. books by marginalized authors. Like, oh, like, look what you can learn. Look at this whole thing about, yeah. like, this culture isn't it magical and so like what I just want to be able to do is to have individuals who are not from South Asian well my first priority is always to write a story for South Asian Mm -hmm. individuals who have not seen their experiences represented on the page Mm -hmm. that the way that you know enough or the way that like they had always hoped Mm -hmm. so um my specific South Asian representation is North Indian so Mm -hmm. like it doesn't resonate for all South Asians but like I'm hoping that like by writing it continues to open to the doors for other South Asian experiences as well that being said like in addition to just giving South Asian um, readers representation that they need that they want um, and writing my truth um, I want other people to like acknowledge that this is not like a magical sideshow. Yeah. This is like yeah. a thing. Yeah. Like you should be able to talk about with in the same tonality, the same like um, approach as you talk about any romance book. It mm-hmm. shouldn't be like, oh my gosh, you're going to learn so much. It should be, oh my God, check out this incredible romance that yeah. has such a rich and nuanced like mm-hmm. cultural experience. Mm-hmm. You know, like mm-hmm. that is my goal. Gotcha. I really love how you represented that in like in Taste Like Shakar because you have the Indian wedding kind of set against this backdrop of a place that has never held an Indian wedding before and they kind of have this expectation and you almost go into it as a reader being like oh it's going to be racist they're going to be racist towards this Indian wedding and then it kind of almost gets flipped on its head to where it's not so scary as that. Um, Mm -hmm. Was it was it difficult at all to write those scenarios or did your editors have any issues with working through those scenarios any fears no I mean um my editor like my editor for Taste Like Shocker was incredible Mm. um and so she really truly was like you know um like lean into it like lean into the experiences Mm -hmm. like don't shy away from it expecting like me to tell you one thing or another just because like that's that's you're worried about what other people are going to react like tell me like the truth Mm -hmm. and so that's what I focused on doing I like that it came across very beautifully too um also your books always make me so incredibly hungry like the food (laughs) in your books sounds so good and we don't really have any good Indian restaurants or oh no yeah around Syracuse and I miss Indian food so much um what is your number one thing you would recommend someone try from the Sharmaverse menu? Oh my gosh. Uh, or your top couple um, of things. Yeah. Well, that is a hard one. <laughs> um, oh my gosh. I don't even know how to answer that. Um, <laughs> it's okay. Well, chai takes place in every single book. Mm-hmm. Like chai is like definitely like chai. a beverage that appears in every single book. Mm-hmm. 
um, Panipuri in Dating Dr. Dill, there is a Panipuri eating contest um, between Karina and Frame. And Mm -hmm. um, it is the most delicious thing ever. I had it last night and my husband and I are like, how can we go back to this restaurant? (laughs) Every single day. (laughs) Every single day while we're here. Um, And it was, uh, it was like, amazing uh because there's like so many like nuanced flavors Mm -hmm. in every single bite and like textures it's just it's like literally the best food in the world um and i think the other thing is like if you're into sweet like food um jalebi is like a Mm -hmm. sweet sticky funnel cake Mm -hmm. it's not it's not like soft and bready it's Mm -hmm. like crispy and like just delicious my mouth is watering right now and it's only nine o'clock in the morning (laughs) (laughs) oh that sounds so good so in another interview because we love our interviews we do a lot of research (laughs) as librarians you said that you wanted to dive into unconventional romance beginnings that still resulted in a happily ever after with thousands of years of romantic writing out there in the world, is there really such a thing as an unconventional romance beginning anymore? Um, I think so, because we haven't really talked about like the way that marginalized people mm-hmm. have like romance beginnings, right? Mm-hmm. Um, like they could have the same beats, they could have the same like core, but mm-hmm. like you're bringing a whole different experience to it from a different perspective. If you talk about culture and race and ethnicity. So I definitely think that there are unconventional um, from different perspectives. Yeah. Coming from your, your perspective of North Indian culture, is there any romance beginning that you would love to see that you would love to write that you haven't before? Oh my gosh. So many. Um, I mean, I I would love to write an older heroine. So mm. one day, like yes. like I'm talking seasoned romance, yes, was, like from an auntie perspective. Oh my gosh, right? yes. Um. So like I, one day, I think I'll I'll have the the strength and the ability to write an auntie romance. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> That'd be so exciting, though, because I one of the things I'm scared of getting older is like not being able to the same ages of the romance heroines in the mm. books I read. I don't know why that's some, it's weird for me to get to the age of like, Oh, now I'm like as old as the heroes. Yeah. You know, as opposed to the heroines. And I like, I wish there was more like older women romance. Like I don't want life to end at like 35. Yeah. Or that part of my life too. You know, that'd be so cool. I would read that. Yeah. We were actually I mean, especially now since like there's a divorce every eight minutes. Yes. yes. Yep. So it's mm-hmm. like, okay, like there's no way that like you have single people at like 50 something and yeah. they just magically disappear just into the go, yeah. They go live in the woods. <laughs> they just go live in the nursing home. They just pack it in. They're done. They sit there and sew, do their taxes. And it's just a quiet, yeah, it's no. We were actually talking about this in book club. Jen and I run a romance book club um, and we read The Dragon's Bride by Katie Robert. Oh, yeah. I don't know if you oh, read that yeah. one yet. <laughs> and everybody in the book club, I was like, I had this moment of the heroine being like, oh, I'm like, I think she's like 35 or 36. Mm-hmm. And I was like, it was a surprise to me because I'm yeah. so used to heroines and I'm, I feel like I'm beating a dead horse at this point. But so many of them are like in their early 20s, mid 20s. Mm-hmm. And then to have a heroine, yeah. I mean, Katie Robert is supreme. We love her. Um, to have write an older heroine like that. And it just kind of like challenged you as a reader to be like, wait, no, mm-hmm. I have to think of my character in a different way now. I do love that yeah. they are getting older. 
and yeah. just in general yeah. and now like 35 is possibility and yeah i would like auntie like auntie romance yes. i want to see that we love a seasoned romance yes. you know what's really interesting this is i know this is like a total sidebar feel please go for it um, but um the characters in the second like the second like the return of the sex in the city crew mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. they're um so like the like carrie miranda whatever mm-hmm. all of them um they are like experiencing romance these days you know what i mean like Mm -hmm. the whole new like where are they now or like whatever season whatever it's called um just like that yes there you go yep um uh they are the same age as the golden girls were oh shut up whoa (laughs) what a different depiction too of like yeah just like wow wild yeah going from rose spraying herself with a yeah spray bottle to carrie strutting it in manola blonde yeah i know like rose wouldn't wear (laughs) wow (laughs) that's wild he just challenged our worldview with that statement (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I read it somewhere. It could be like a false statement, but I think that's true. No, yeah. that makes sense. I mean, okay, talk about a sidebar. So but I've been seeing a lot lately about like Gen Z, millennial, and how mm-hmm. like what age that we look um, mm-hmm. and how millennials are looking younger than we are. And Gen Z is starting to look a little older than they are. And I'm just thinking about like looking at our parents in like the 70s and the 80s and when they were our age well your parents my i have ancient parents oh that's true that's true um but just i don't know it's interesting how different generations how we've aged and what we're looking for and that's a completely different topic for a completely different day but it could be explored in an older romance yes yeah that is true (laughs) all right so cool so get back to the questions (laughs) um and we might have already kind of answered this um but we've spoken before on the podcast about the shift in representation in romance landia over the past handful of years just beyond um you know then looking for marginalized writers and marginalized characters to kind of fill the gap Mm -hmm. but now publishers are actively like no we want to support these different cultures and different creators and different authors have you as an author in the thick of it witnessed a change in how readers and publishers approach non-white non-hetero aka what has always been the stereotypical romance Mm. novel in recent times Uh, um for readers i think it's getting better Mm -hmm. like readers well better and worse um i think that i guess my answer for both publishers and for readers it's better and worse at the same Mm -hmm. time um and so it's better because uh, for publishers because they they now just like will look at you without saying we have we already have our person Mm -hmm. which is things that they used to say Mm -hmm. but worse in the sense that the racism and the bias is becoming so subtle that you feel like you're being gaslit um like certain publishers for example recently and this is this is one of the things that like you know i have long conversations with other author friends Mm -hmm. about and even if like i'm ever asked to consult this is a conversation that comes up um like the the lack of intersectionality is uh, like incredible Mm -hmm. They now, they being publishers, will now look at a title and say, like, if there is one particular type of diversity, mm-hmm. they assume that the title meets their, like, diversity, like, oh. consideration. 
And what's happening is that they don't know the difference. They're still uneducated mm. about the difference between un- underrepresented and marginalized. Mm. So underrepresented, and this is, these are, I want to like first reiterate, like these are very important mm-hmm. representations, mm-hmm. like are like, you know, if you have an autoimmune disease or if you have a like ADHD or you know, like whatever, like, um, like, like either a physical, like, um, like, uh, like PCOS, uh, or, you know, um, migraines, Mm -hmm. like those are all like very important representations Mm -hmm. that we should have in our books. Mm -hmm. Um, but those are underrepresented categories. Mm -hmm. Like, marginalized are categories where there is a systemic like approach to oppressing those categories like mm-hmm. it is inherent in the way that the system was built mm-hmm. so that is race and ethnodiversity mm-hmm. um so we're looking at publishers who are looking at underrepresented and counting it towards a marginalized mm-hmm. diversity representation okay so like there are certain publishers that are like, oh, we have 60% diversity on our list and we're so proud of it. And it's like, oh, that's amazing. Then you look at the titles and there is one black author out of mm. 100 authors, mm-hmm. you know, and it's like, wait a minute, what are you, what is diverse to you? And you find out diverse to them is not marginalized, it's underrepresented, mm-hmm. which is again, so important. However, like there's a systemic oppression, like there is systemic oppression against these individuals mm-hmm. who are like, mar- like marginalized right. and um, like in- invisible diversity is just as important to like specifically, like just as important. And I really need to kind of continue to impress that. Mm-hmm. But like the proximity to whiteness allows for certain um, like privileges that individuals who are uh, diverse uh, or who are marginalized do not have. Right. Thank you. That was wonderfully put. Thank you so much. I do have a question and I don't want to get you like in trouble with the publishers if you can't answer <laughs> this, but I do wonder with some of the publishers, is there like a, a genuine commitment to change and getting better or is some of this just like lip service not because anymore. Romance Landia has been pushing for it? I mean, not anymore. The, oh, okay. In 2010, there was, but I'll mm-hmm. be honest with you. Like, I yeah. think this is like something that we don't really think about. Like, what is the impact of the Trump um, yeah. administration mm-hmm. in the U.S.? And mm-hmm. one of the impacts is like uh, the like disregard for supporting marginalized communities because it's now okay to do it. Like, mm-hmm. there's no repercussion to do it because yeah. mm-hmm. we it from like our political landscape so like this impacts a lot like businesses like companies like I worked in DE&I in corporate for so long while I was writing and this is the impact that we saw in in house in corporate as well where like all of their metrics and their goals and their aspirations for developing an equitable and equal society um, completely just went to the wayside because it's like well no one's holding us accountable Mm -hmm. it's really matter no one really cares. We're not going to get in trouble. Like, why are we doing this? This mm-hmm. is like a waste of money. Like, mm-hmm. you know, this is something that, you know, is is the the product of our political landscape. Mm-hmm. That's something I've been scared of and something I've talked about with Jackie about whether or not like 
can we like really trust publishers to like keep kind of making these strides to more mm-hmm. diversity and inclusion or if it, it is like you know if we ever do stop like holding their feet to the fire if they would like go back to retract yeah retract from yeah. what they're doing I've always been kind of scared about that but I've never like had the guts to ask an author <laughs> well I mean like I think this connects to the way that readers engage yeah. with fiction mm-hmm. right so it's better and worse for readers too mm-hmm. readers are more mindful but at the same time like where they'll spend their money are the titles that are not from marginalized authors right. like the bestsellers like, quote unquote right. the bestsellers right like a lot of like the supporting marginalized authors is very performative now. And Mm -hmm. so, which is, I'm so glad you're sharing, you're talking about these titles, right? Like these are like, this is important. That is an important part of it. Mm -hmm. So if you do not have the money to spend on like marginalized books, that's fine. Get it from the library. That's Mm -hmm. like, Jackie buys lots. I do. (laughs) I mean, but like that's, you know, but at the same time, like I've seen videos of people who have like, every single special edition of fourth wing from like 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 26 copies of the same book yeah and then like you know one video later like oh like we really need to support marginalized authors but there's no marginalized representation on their bookshelves yep yep yeah so that's why like publishers are still spending like seven figures on books written by non-diverse individuals writing marginalized characters because they're like oh look like you know we're supporting black women but it's written by an individual who is white and it's more powerful exactly it's the sarah j moss problem which Mm -hmm. says i wearing a sarah j moss (laughs) shirt currently at the moment but yeah it is i feel like it's so necessary as you know we're readers and we're advocates like jen said to keep holding feet to the fire and to keep yeah i don't trust talking and to keep yeah. buying as much as we can because unfortunately in capitalism money speaks right yeah so i will say that like just i'm sorry just to clarify like yeah. when i say it's more palatable what i mean is like they're they feel like their ignorance or like they feel like readers and this is an assumption on my part i can't like speak for all readers mm-hmm. but, like readers are like supporting these books and it like somehow like speaks to their conscience in a way. And it says like, oh, you are reading about a black character and like you oh. are reading diversely and not really acknowledging the fact that it's really not just about reading a black character. It's about making sure that individuals who are from the black community are able to yeah. tell their own stories gotcha. and to access those stories, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah. then just as we're talking and I'm thinking about this, you're in the YA space. We're in libraries where we are seeing a huge trend mm-hmm. of like book banning and book challenges. Have oh, you yeah. seen any any push any pushback from the publishers and in, in like your YA books on any topics? Well, I, have you guys um like seen the whole Scholastic fiasco? Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yep. Like, but for the listeners, mm-hmm. can you maybe recap it? Yeah, I mean, um, from what I. I'll, I can I can speak to what I know. Scholastic yeah, yeah. is one of my publishers, but um, Scholastic has their book fairs, right? Mm-hmm. Like we all love them as mm-hmm. kids. Right. Like, mm-hmm. There's a fan of them, and in order to <laughs> in order to uh, address the book by and I'm I'm like using air quotes, quote unquote, yeah. Uh, in in order to address the book buying uh, the book banning concern, they essentially created like an order button that like, individuals can so click that remove all titles that could potentially be banned. Mm -hmm. And those titles were all these marginalized authors and their marginalized books and titles. Like Mm -hmm. they still wanted to continue to sell to, to libraries and to schools 
and to continue to make a profit using Scholastic Book Fair, but they didn't want to support their marginalized authors in any no. way. Mm-hmm. And so um, there were there was a lot of pushback, of course. I mean, it's literally the most horrible decision that like yeah, any publisher can make. Bad. And um, I think they've reversed their decision, but they haven't said how they're now going to address book banning. Well, so Je- the conference Jen and I just went to was actually for a school, like school librarians. And mm-hmm. one of the things they were saying that Scholastic was offering was tables where these Ooh. books would basically be. I hate to use the word segregated, but where they would be segregated titles off to the sides. That is, that is disgusting. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I hate that so much. Disgusting. Mm-hmm. Like I'm, I, I had at one point I had an op- opportunity to work with Scholastic and I'm so glad that I didn't take yeah. that opportunity. Mm-hmm. Because, like, like that is like absolutely abhorrent. Yeah. That they would do something to like that. It's like, I don't know what publicist was thinking this and what they were trying to do. But, you but... know, I could see this playing well in places like Florida. So yeah. I'm sure to them, they're like, oh, we did make a good decision. Ron yeah. DeSantis is happy with us. And then we can still, like, come to New York and act like we didn't do this. Yeah, but no, librarians, no. We pay Authors, attention. Authors, no. <laughs> yeah. I think it's, like, I think, like, the intention and, like, I'm not defending Scholastic in yeah. any way. Yeah. And I know that I'm just, I'm talking shit about Scholastic right now, but... <laughs> Um, but like, I think the intention is to make sure that the students who really need books Mm -hmm. still get books in their hands, right? You completely remove the like access to books altogether. Like the people in need are the ones who don't get it. Mm -hmm. Um, but the way that they're going about it is wrong. Like what they really should do it, like not a single publisher, like not a single publisher has come out and made a strong concerted effort to fight book banning. Right. Yeah, like, what, wasn't we that... all kind of like maybe do like oh like book banning is bad. Right. Yeah. Like there's no rallying outcry right. to fight book banning. Is right. there? So there's that lawsuit in Florida happening. I, was Random House a part of that, or they? Or am I remembering it wrong? Uh, I I honestly don't remember. Okay, maybe don't not. Know. Okay, then maybe not. What are you talking about, Will? Well, no, because some there is a group of authors and I and parents who are suing Florida. Because it's, they're saying it's like a discrimination of their students' rights not to have access to these books. And mm. I thought there was publishing. I don't know. I'll, I'll have to look into it. that. See if we can find it. If I can find it, I will link it in the show notes. So. I could I mean, be wrong. I am very tired. I don't tired. know how that law school, that, that law school, that lawsuit would, would work. Because, okay. um, like, it's, these are, like, corporations, right? Yeah. Like, it's, like, yeah. like, they can sue the school. I don't know how they'd sue to a company for, like, Failing to sell them a product. No, they're no, they're like a part of a lawsuit that's like suing the the state department, like the oh, department of okay, education. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Sorry, yeah, I said that wrong. Yeah, because yeah. I think um, God, who was the part? I think because when I was doing all that research for All Boys Are in Blue, he mm-hmm. they had thought about being a part of it, but there was a couple other authors that joined instead. Mm-hmm. And okay. parents of students that were affected by the book bans mm-hmm. in Florida. Okay, they signed on, and I thought it was random, but I like Random House. Yeah, I could be wrong, so I will go back yeah. and check my well, sources. That would be what I would love is for like Random House to like come out and mm-hmm. be like, or and I I mean I don't want to just pick on Random House. I want I want to say like all publishers mm-hmm. like if they worked together they mm-hmm. all have the same intention mm-hmm. and they like had a concerted effort to fight book banning like they have collective power you know and a lot of like like really great like resources and high you know um highly visible individuals on their lists mm-hmm. yeah together it, okay so it is it's pen america it's penguin random house and several authors and parents that are suing yeah. Florida. 
Um, they're actually sorry. They're suing a Florida school board over book bans. It's the the Florida book ban place that yeah. was like the most. Yeah. The really mm. the one like Moms for Liberty sprung out of somewhere in Orlando, yeah. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So one, yeah. but like I guess they're not making yeah. a big deal about it. Yeah. Yeah. I wish that they posted it all over. The, like I wish that like it was like a thing. Right. Yeah. Just you know yeah. a party mm-hmm. to it. Yeah. So going off that and to kind of try to draw it to a more positive note at the end. Sorry. Of that. No, that's okay. That's okay. Really I mean, discussion. it's a good discussion, and like it sucks too that all this it's is necessary. happening. And these are questions I've been wondering, and I just have not had a chance to ask an author. So thank yes. you for indulging us, and yes. I'm yeah, glad sure. we can uh, remind our listeners too that book bans are still happening. Yes. So please yeah. go out and uh, support some books and some libraries if you can. If you know you get nothing else from this this episode yes. today. Um, off of that, what do you think that we as readers, librarians, advocates, what can we do to help make space for more diverse stories for those marginalized authors to tell their stories and to access their stories uh i would love if like more book clubs like continue to focus on like purchasing supporting Mm -hmm. marginalized titles Mm -hmm. um like a lot of the times like when you look at your social media feeds like you you think like oh i'm doing a great job about talking about marginalized titles um, but like, it's not incorporated in your social media feeds, right? Like it's like one every like 15 videos mm-hmm. is like mm-hmm. marginalized title. Mm-hmm. So like thinking about like what you're sharing with your readership, the other element of it is like, I would like for us to change the narrative about how we talk about marginalized titles. Okay. Like, like I think like, instead of just saying like, you should read this because you are going to learn something mm-hmm. is like not the best way to position marginalized books right yeah that's fair because, it's not boring then yeah i mean and yeah. not to say don't learn something like i hope you do like i hope every single book that you pick up in your life you learn something mm-hmm. from it like whether it's to be kind or whether it's like you know i don't know like about 1985 like bmw's like yeah. <laughs> or how to uh, tie knots during fun times yeah. <laughs> or like some shibaru yeah, yeah. <laughs> But like whatever, like whatever it may be, like, you know, it is not a manual, right? right? Like these romance novels are not meant to be used as a manual for like being more empathetic to your culture or like about what, like what that culture represents. So like, I would like for people to like, think about the way that they talk about books that are not diverse and Mm -hmm. apply the same like method of you know, promoting like books that are from marginalized communities. Um, And so, and I think by the way, like marginalized book talkers and marginalized like, um, like Instagram, uh, bookstagram people are doing such a great job of doing this already. Like Mm -hmm. they really are carrying the weight of like supporting so many like marginalized authors. And I can't be, I can't thank them enough mm-hmm. for what they've done for my career, what they've done for so many other like marginalized authors careers. Um, but uh, like they are an example of how you can talk about books and not make it be about like, Hey, like this is a homework assignment. Mm. You should <laughs> learn something because like that language is so different from like, Oh my God, this book has like, Knots. <laughs> yes, yes. It was because I'm I'm on TikTok and I was scrolling through just like in preparation. Jen was reading interviews. I was on TikTok. You know that's normal for us. Um, and I was seeing so many creators for Taste Like Shakard, and they were talking about like, like you were just saying, 
they weren't talking about, oh, you will learn about Indian wedding sphere and you will learn about this. They were talking about, no, guys, there are knots. He makes her food. <gasps> yeah, Jen, you will love it when you finally get around to reading it. She hasn't gotten around to it yet. But and I'm it was so sorry. just so Please don't hate me. I'm so sorry. Totally okay. <laughs> it was so nice. And it really like it makes you want to read it. Yeah. I I mean, I'm I'm glad. I'm so glad. Like the like I'm telling you, some of these book talkers are really like holding down the fort. <laughs> yeah, they really are. They really are. So it's kind of shift gears yeah, let's completely. Go. <laughs> so on our podcast, we're always saying, oh, we would love to see this in a, a romance, yada, yada. Like, hey, a Gilded Age firefighter, a Sasquatch. I do not want to see Sasquatch. Hunting. I would like to see no. a Sasquatch. Or like a werewolf. Well, there is a romance about Sasquatch, though. There's a lot. It's we have like an ongoing fight about Bigfoot. Not the space. So I'm wondering, <laughs> what is your dream romance plot line of kind of tropes you would like love to merge together? Do you have one? Merge together? Yeah. Oh boy! Like when you were doing your your fantasy rom com stuff back in the day. Also, like, if you just want to tell us about your romanticity in twenty twenty five, you are welcome to. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, you know, I think like anything that I could hope for, you can now find on Kindle. Yeah, yeah, this is true. That is. There's a lot <laughs> I don't like about Amazon, but I love that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, to be fair, like my wildest dreams have been Mm -hmm. um what uh, like I will tell you I've been like it's it's spooky month so I've been reading like a lot of Nalini Singh again because I read all of her books every October oh okay yeah um and so I am like desperate for Pax's story I don't know if you read it but um there's like a particular character who is like like dying of this like terminal you know yeah. terminal illness um as like a like it's a psi illness because like psi changeling series mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and uh so um like he he like su- succumbs to like this illness in at the end of the previous book so i'm dying for his story but mm-hmm. apparently the next book is not his story and now i'm like what is this book? oh no so i'm looking for that um i would love for Nora Roberts to write one last trilogy of like sisterhood. Yes. Like, but we haven't gotten one in a while. Is it, um, well, she has cool. inheritance is coming out in November. Um, and that yeah. is the start of a new, it's like a, it's like a, another one of her like witchy fantasy, oh, cool. okay. not quite fantasy, but like one of her OG trilogies. Yeah. So maybe I hope so. But like people are saying that it's very like, it's very much her newish style. Oh. Which, that's why I'm kind of like, oh, Nora. Fingers okay. okay. <laughs> crossed, um, then. I know, but like, I'm hopeful. Yeah, it's the Lost Bride series, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. That's it. Yeah. So it yeah. almost kind of sounds like the Dark Witch trilogy or like yeah. some of her earlier stuff. Yeah. But um, so to kind of draw it all together, a big question. Mm-hmm. What do you love about romance books? Oh my gosh. How can I answer that question? <laughs> um, um, I think like, like I, I can give like the answer that I know that a lot of other people give about romance where it's like the genre of hope. It's the genre of mm-hmm. uh, like, uh, you know, feminist ideologies. Yeah. It's the genre of like supporting the marginalized voice. It's the genre of like embracing sexuality. It's, you know, like I can give all of those answers, but for me, like um, I've always gone to romance uh, when I needed comfort, mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Like romance gives me like comfort. Mm-hmm. Um, it gives me like, like energy and um, excitement and it gives me love and it gives me like so many of these emotions that I find it very difficult to find in my day-to-day life. Like yeah. being an activist, being a student, being a scholar, being whatever. And so like, I think the romance genre is like that place for me. Mm-hmm. I love that. Cause so often Jed and I talk about romance as kind of being like this mirror to society, almost mm-hmm. like a gilded mirror to society mm-hmm. that we can look at and we can see all our hopes and aspirations. Yeah. Like you were saying about how we mm-hmm. always say it's like a hopeful, it's feminist, it's all this sort of stuff. But I really like the idea of being able to take something away from it. Mm-hmm. Cause that's not something that we talk about too often. Mm-hmm. And yeah, like like you said, it is so often, it's a comfort read, but in the fact that it gives you comfort, that it gives you that hope back, I yeah. think. And I like yeah. that. Yeah, it's beautiful. Oh, it's a nice that's sentiment. Nice. <laughs> so to wrap it up with one last beautiful question. So uh, mm-hmm. I've been in a book slump for over a year. Oh, <laughs> Which no. of your novels should I read to break my slump and get me back to reading? Mm. Well, Dating Dr. Bill is probably my most popular. <laughs> Is that the one that's going to break it, though? Well, it depends. Like, what got you into your book slump in the first place? Like, what were you reading? Oh, God. I don't even remember. Well, okay. So she had to start a memoir book club at her branch, her library branch. So Mm -hmm. I think that that weighed into it. So I'm going to recommend you read Taste Like Shakar. Because I know how much you love the food, like the food trope, and he Mm -hmm. gives her food. (gasps) I love that. Mm -hmm. Um, We had this discussion once of like sexy things in romance and honestly i don't even care about the sex i like um jr ward the thing about how the vampires like will feed their hair that is just so like yeah you need to read shakar then yeah Yeah. um so yeah i because like my ya stuff is very much like rompy and fun yeah Yeah. Um, my so-called bollywood life is fun Rather and Jay's recipe for romance is mental health representation. Mm-hmm. There's food in that as well. She's kind of like learning about herself through cooking from her grandfather's recipe book. Oh, that's so nice. Um, and there's rival dance teams. So um, then the karma map is like deconstructing religion. Mm-hmm. Um, so like if you are in a place where you really need to <laughs> figure out like your relationship with spirituality, um, that could be a place for you. Uh, but then uh, I do also have the Singh family trilogy, which um, that the third book comes out next year. And that is my uh, con- like category romance. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if you're looking for billionaires, <gasps> I love billionaires. So that's I'm so ashamed. I love billionaires, but I love billionaires. <laughs> yeah. And then, of course, my rom-coms, yeah. Okay. All right. We've got all those notes in here. I'm going to try this weekend. And Jen Light, I do have one last question for you. What can we look for next from the Sharmaverse? Oh, Jesus. Uh, That's like a a bag of tricks. What can Um, you talk about that's coming out next? Let's narrow it down. (laughs) 100%. So I am republishing my first book. Like, I was able to get the rights back. And so I'm adding, like, like, fun extended ending and things like that so my so-called bollywood life comes out february 15th awesome um yeah it has a beautiful cover i'm really excited about it okay um and so then uh after that uh my first new adult romance comes out uh the letters we keep 
Um, it is a contemporary, a contemporary new adult romance about um, two individuals on a college campus who come from totally different like life experiences who find letters from two people who disappeared 50 years ago Ooh. in a fire and no one knows what happened to them and they're hoping that the letters can tell them what happened. Ooh. That sounds really cool. Um, yeah, so that is um, so that comes out in May. Then the last book of the Singh Family trilogy comes out, um, and then the third book of in the Shakespeare series comes yes. out, Marriage and Musty, and that uh, features two characters in the um, that you meet in the very first book, to mm-hmm. Deepak and Kira, who have kind of been a part of the stories. Um, and uh, after that, Illusions of Fire, which is my oh, YA. Cool paranormal Buffy inspired <laughs> romance ah, that's okay. really cool. that's so exciting that sounds so cool I'm really mad I have to go do like work stuff I can't <laughs> I just like go I just check want out to sit books. down and read yeah, everything I gotta go do, like now. bookmobile stuff I can't sit yeah. and read this stuff <laughs> well thank you so much hey. this has been awesome to talk to you this has been great thank you so much and if yes. our romance nerds have any questions or they would like to reach out to you where can they do so they can find me on my website at nisha-sharma.com or I'm usually on TikTok and Instagram at Nisha Writes. All right. Excellent. Well, in that on that note, Jen, what do we always say? Reach on! All right. Thanks, Romance Nerds. Anisha, thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs>